This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. Uh, today's going to be a special show. You're going to want to listen or watch this one, I have a feeling, multiple times. Because the man that I'm going to interview is a unique person. He's not your everyday entrepreneur. In fact, I think he sort of reluctantly or oddly got into entrepreneurship, which we will we'll definitely talk about today. But my guest is Blake Mykoski. And most of you probably know Blake because he founded Tom Shoes. Um, very unique company, but he's done so much after that time, too, that I want to talk about with him. But just to give you guys an idea of what this man's business ended up creating for the world, never mind a significant profit for him and a great product, but 86 million pairs of shoes went to children since 2006. Just get your head around that, everybody. This man's business gave 86 million. It's got to blow you away, too, Blake. 86 million pairs of shoes um, through the eyewear program they had. Another 600,000 people since 2011. Uh, clean water to another 600,000 people. And it goes on and on. He's, he's proof, and this is why it's so important during these times, that, that capitalism can be a good thing. Of course. And, and so I'm excited to talk about your journey, how you did it, what it means, the post-sale, all of that stuff. So, Blake, thank you for being here today, brother. Yeah, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, same here, man. And I, I kind of consider myself... I've always tried to find the term for it. I don't know that I would say it right, but I'm almost like a, I think I'm a progressive capitalist. Mm, if that I like makes that. Any sense, you know, yeah. um, I've always thought that business can be a force for good in every way. And maybe not every single day are we seeing that in the world today. No, I mean, unfortunately, I think a lot of times we're not seeing that. And I'm, I call myself actually a reluctant capitalist. <laughs> so, okay. um, you know, because I, I know when it's done right in a, in a, high, a highly conscious form, um, then it can have a huge impact on people and make a huge difference in the world. But unfortunately, most of capitalism is characterized by a lot of greed, uh, a lot of short term thinking. Um, and a lot of exploitation of our planet and people. So um, yeah. I, I'm very reluctant, but at the same time, I've seen great benefits through the businesses I've started and other people who I admire. Yeah, me too. And I, that's why if you're listening today and maybe you've got a friend who's sort of on the fence, does this sort of way of living work anymore? Perhaps mm. this will give some hope between the two of us today, especially in your case. Yeah. Um, and also for those of you that are entrepreneurs or thinking about becoming entrepreneurs, I think sometimes people think, Blake, like the business I made my real first success in was the financial services business. I had no desire whatsoever ever to go into that business. It was more yeah. of a, it ended up being kind of a cosplay for me and it turned into a profit. And just talk for a second, because I think the way you started Tom's Shoes could open up and liberate the minds of people right now that go, I don't know if I'm an entrepreneur or maybe they're in a business right now, but it's not a passion play for them. It's a profit play. Sure. And yeah, you didn't even really start out thinking it was going to be a business, did you? No, actually, we didn't have a bank account. We were we called it a project in, originally, um, and we thought it would just be some little small thing that we would do to help children in Argentina. And for me, frankly, I mean, one of the cornerstones I think of any business is it's got to be fun. And it, I was having a ton of fun in Argentina. I mean, I was 29 years old dating beautiful Argentine women, going back and forth, playing some polo. Like, I mean, to me, when I started Tom's, which I think so many people miss out on, 
is I did it because I had this deep desire to help people. I always have had that. It was instilled in me as a young child that if we've been given something, we were responsible to give back. But I also did it because Argentina was so much fun. And so this little project was really simple. We had this idea where we would sell shoes and every time we sold a pair, we would give a pair. And um, we would be able to come back to Argentina because that would be required to give away the shoes a couple of times a year. So I would get to bake in these really fun trips to Argentina. And, you know, it started real small, selling them out of my apartment, selling them out of an Airstream van. You know, I had no idea that we'd build it to a half billion dollar business. A lot of guys right now, a lot of people rather, are in this really small business space right now. I don't think they even feel like an entrepreneur because they are working out of their garage or they've got a full-time job and they, you know, in their bedroom at their house, they've got a desk where they're starting something. I sure. think they feel real, right? Yeah. And it is real it is if it's real. a passion play for years. Was there a point, and then I want to go back to who you were before this, but was there a point, because it was tomorrow's shoes or something, yeah. before, wasn't it? Yeah, originally it was called Shoes for Tomorrow. Um, and then we called them tomorrow's shoes because the idea was if you bought a pair today, we would give away a pair tomorrow. And then when we were originally designing the shoe, we realized that tomorrow's wouldn't actually fit on the tag. So in a, in a very like, you know, I probably thought about it for a 10 second type decision. I said, well, why don't we just call them Tom's? That's kind of close enough to tomorrow's. And uh, next thing I know, everyone in the world thought my name was Tom. And I still answer to it at airports all the time. Like yeah. I was at the airport the other day and said, "Hey Tom, come here." And uh, I, you know, I answered. I did to for it, years. But, to be honest with you, until I yeah. really went deep about you know, we got you know, most of you don't know, but he and I have a bunch of mutual friends. And yeah, I'm like, wait, this dude's name's Blake. How the hell? Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. It's confused a lot of people. I'm found as an entrepreneur. You know, people we've had on the show, and in my own case too. There's this point in most businesses, not always where there's like this 90 day explosion window. And sometimes mm. it's your second 90 days. And sometimes that 90 days doesn't hit till the seventh year. Yeah. You know, there's just like this moment where you go, Oh my God, this is different than it was before. Sure. There are 30, 90 day window like that, that happened to Tom's shoes. And if so, what was the catalyst? Yeah. So it was really interesting. We got the shoes in this one store in Los Angeles called American rag. Uh, and I would say that was like in the first month or two of being in business, we had a little website, we were selling them to, you know, friends, fraternity, brothers, parents, things like that. And um, the uh, leading writer for the LA Times, a woman named Booth Moore, uh, saw the shoes in the store and got my number because she was really curious because she had never heard of a company that was giving something away every time they sold it. And so she called me and she said, I'm going to do a little piece in the LA Times. And I was like, great. And so that um, little piece was, you know, a tiny little article, but it was on the cover of the calendar section on a, on a Sunday. And um, that one article that day, we had 2,200 orders on our website. And I only had... That? What were you doing before that? What's that? What were you doing before that? Before the article? Oh, we were maybe selling like three or four pairs a day. Wow. And so 2,200 orders in one day. And the kicker of it was I only had 150 pairs in my apartment. So I was like, you know, total panic. I put a bunch of ads on Craigslist to get some interns to call these people and tell them it's going to be a while. I went back to Argentina, started making the shoes. We we're literally making them out of people's garages back then. And, uh, and then I came back. And then right when I came back, the other, so this is all within that 90 day window. 
I got a call from, it's hard to believe, but Anna Wintour's office at Vogue magazine because Anna had read the LA Times article. And so she wanted me to come to New York. I came to New York and I was right around the time that the movie The Devil or Prada came out. So I was like horrified of this woman. Turns out she's become one of my great friends. Um, and then the Vogue article came out and then that just took it to a whole nother level. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, every major department store went our shoes all over the world. And uh, that's when the beginning of the rocket ship and that period lasted from about then it lasted for about six years. I and mean, we had 300% growth. Wow. We went from zero to half a billion in sales in six years My with God. no investors. My gosh, that's it was pretty crazy. That's so wonderful. Crazy time. Now, I want all the entrepreneurs listening, and not everybody that listens is one, but th th listen, there can be a moment where that window hits. Yeah. You know, there's you just gotta that, be ready there for is, it. I find that it's very rarely just this as an entrepreneur. You know, I'm, no. you're listening to this. It's not some just glided path. There's up and down, up and down, and then there is a bang, hopefully, yeah. at some point. But the other thing, too, I want to say to everybody listening, too, because Blake is the ultimate uh, example of this, is that you know, listen, capitalism and entrepreneurship should do these things. Now, not all of you are going to put 86 million pairs of shoes on people's feet. That's just sure. a mind-blowing statistic. <laughs> but at the same time, everybody, I find, you know, to distinguish yourself as a business in this day and age, depending on the in industry you're in, people are constantly trying to do the same, make their product 10% better than the other one, or they price yeah. it different. And there's yeah. this huge lane that's open that almost nobody explores, which is do good with your business, have sure. a cause linked to it. So forgetting the fact that you should do it because it's what a human being should do, just from a business perspective, uh, you are yeah. out of your mind not to be looked at as a cause business to get raving fans who root for your company. True absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing is, is it's actually um, two, two important distinctions there. It's not just doing good as a business, but actually transferring the power to your customers to get to do good. Because the, the customer really wants to do good, but oftentimes they're financially constrained, they're time constrained. So if you make it easy for them to experience the, you know, you know, the, the oxytocin high of doing good in the world through a purchase of your product, they'll be loyal fans forever. You know, one of my most favorite experiences in the 13-year Tom's journey happened about six months in. It was right after, I think, the Vogue article came out. I was in New York trying to sell shoes, not doing a very good job of it, mind you. And I went to fly back to L.A. a little bit with my you know, tail between my legs. And I had just gone for a run in Central Park and I was rushing to the airport and I did not have Toms on, which was very unique because I always wear Toms, especially in the early days. And I get to the American Airlines check-in counter and I'm getting ready to do the electronic kiosk to get my boarding pass. And I look over and there's a girl like mid thirties standing there wearing a red pair of Toms. Now this was super exciting because this is the very first time I saw a stranger wearing our shoes. It wasn't an intern. It wasn't my parents. It wasn't my neighbor. It was a stranger, you know, 4,000 miles from my home. So I had to ask her about him, but I didn't want to let her know who I was. So I just said, I said, casually, I said, Hey, excuse me. I couldn't help but noticing these, these red shoes you're wearing, you know, they're so cool. What are they? And she looked at me and her eyes kind of widened. And she said, Tom's they're Tom's shoes and I'm playing it cool. Right? So I keep doing the kiosk. And she wants more of my attention. So she literally, this is a stranger now in airport, puts her hand on my shoulder, kind of pulls me away from the kiosk. She goes, 
No, you don't understand. This is the most amazing company in the world. When I bought this pair of shoes, they gave a pair to a child in Argentina. And this guy who started, I think he lives on a boat in Los Angeles. And I mean, she started telling my life story word for word with like more passion than my mom tells it. And so at that point, I was like, oh, I have to tell her who I am. Right. <laughs> so she's like just going on and on like a crowd gathering. And so I say, um, excuse me, actually, I, I need to confess something. Um, I'm actually Blake. I started Tom's. And she looks at me like deer in the headlights. Right. And then she goes why did you cut your hair? Because <laughs> she had watched all these YouTube videos of me giving out the shoes in Argentina, I had this long, crazy, curly yeah. hair. But that summer I had cut it. And that was her one question. But I learned one of the most important business lessons of my life in that exchange. And that is, if you do good, if you really empower your customers to feel like they're part of something, they will do the marketing for you. And that's way more cost effective than any paid advertising you can do. And I think that's why Tom's grew so fast and we made so much money. Brother, amen. And, and what a great story. And you know, by the way, all the surveys also say you entrepreneurs out there, your wheels should just be turning. How can I begin to make my business be more like this? The, all surveys say if you're going to hire someone under 30 years old, they all want to work for a cause-oriented organization more than yeah. they want a profit-oriented one. We have a person that does a work for us on one of our dogs. And one of the reasons that she grooms our dogs is that she used to make these potions for her mother who had Alzheimer's. Mm. And when she would bathe her mother, she would use, she made these shampoos that smelled so beautiful for her mom. Yeah. And when her mom was being bathed. She said, that might be the hour a week I'd get my old mom back where she would remember me. Oh, wow. And then she started to do that for her own dogs. And so when she started to pitch us on her dog grooming business, if you will, it was like, I didn't care what the price was. She said, yeah. I made these daughter, my mom, 20% of my profits go to women's Alzheimer's. I'm like, Beautiful. in, done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, so exactly. I, I'm totally with you on that. You mentioned your mom, and I mentioned this earlier too. I'd like to just a little indulgence for myself. Who were you before all this? Before you know, Tom Hughes, who were you? I, I was a, a very driven competitive tennis player growing up. Yeah, I started playing at age 10. By age 15, I was one of the best players in the state and the country. I lived at a tennis academy. I moved away from my family to train. So I would only go to school for part-time during the day. I went to college on tennis scholarship. And then my sophomore year, I had a really bad injury to my Achilles tendon. And I was in crutches and a full leg cast. And that is when I actually had my first entrepreneurial idea. The funny thing is I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur meant. My dad was a doctor. My grandfather's a doctor. There were no entrepreneurs, you know, at that time really in my family. But um, I couldn't carry my laundry down to the facility because of the crutches. And so I looked in the yellow pages, which some listeners won't know what that is. Um, but uh, I looked in the yellow pages, the early Google, and uh, there was no one that would pick up and deliver my laundry. And so my roommate, his dad was an entrepreneur and we were telling him about this problem. He said, you guys should start a laundry business. And so next thing you know, we bought like an old FedEx truck for 1500 bucks, set up shop, started doing people's laundry. I never went back to playing tennis and uh, dropped out of college and and that was the beginning of my entrepreneur path. But so much of what I think has made me a successful entrepreneur is that self-reliance, because tennis is an individual sport. You don't have a team to count on. The self-discipline that I had to be training so hard at such a young age, the sacrifices I made. You know, I wasn't out drinking beer with people on Friday night 
because I had matches Saturday morning. So I really, I love to hire athletes for that reason, you know. I love to hire athletes and I love to hire military. Me too. Because they're unbelievable in terms of their discipline and their focus. Um, and that was who I was before becoming an entrepreneur. Let's fast forward. So you're going to get ready to sell this thing. Is it Bain Capital? Is that Bain who? Capital, yeah. 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 So you get a pretty good chunk of change. You get a nine-figure exit, multiple nine-figure exit. This is a dude who... I take it if you're starting the business out of an apartment, there wasn't a whole bunch of abundance in your life. So you went no. from nada to the big time. Yeah. What's what's the daylight? Just sell the dream to the entrepreneur, the initial dream. Then we'll get to the not so dreamy stuff post. But yeah, I'm curious. Take us through what that feels like that day where you, you know, you must have checked an account to go. Is this real? I've had oh, other yeah. people tell me that. And they're like, holy, this stuff's yeah, out of my account now. It really is. A, it, it's a, you know, it's interesting because I obviously never started Tom's for the money. I had made a little bit of money um, on my other businesses before Tom's, but you know, when when you get fired three hundred and fifty million dollars, you know, you like, I mean, it's a, it's just a, I mean, it's a, it's a speechless moment. Um, but it also comes with a lot of responsibility. The next day, I gave half of it away, um, so I, I wanted to help other social entrepreneurs had the same journey I did. So I created the social entrepreneur fund and put it into a fund to do that. So that was one of the ways that I responded because it was so overwhelming. Um, and wow. then, and then I went on a surf trip with my buddies and just laughed my ass off that somehow this business that helped people created uh, so much wealth for myself. Um, and, uh, and, and then the next year to two years after that, you know, we hired a CEO. I stepped down from the day-to-day -day operations. I got to explore a lot of hobbies and things that I'd always wanted to do, but never had the time for. And so that was a really, really unique time in my life. Hmm. You gave away half the money. I did not know that. Yeah. You're a unique man, brother. Um, I'm like, I, I already liked you through our friends, but I admire you. Thank you. Know, you. The more I'm hearing your story. Obviously, you're also gifted with an incredible ability to communicate. I assume that's something you had with you the entire time, obviously. You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think this is important for people who are entrepreneurs or just business people in general. Um, I never really considered myself a very good public speaker until Tom's. And what happened was I realized that the only way we were selling these shoes, and at first people didn't like the shoes. They said they looked like karate slippers. They, were thought, you know, they weren't that comfortable. People made fun of them. I mean, this was not like an instant fashion hit, but people loved the story. I mean, they loved the story just lit people up almost in a religious way. And so I realized the only way this was going to work was if I got on the road and told the story. And so I got an Airstream trailer and for 78 days, I traveled from L.A. to New York and back. And I would stop and speak at anywhere people would listen. A lot of churches were the first places because this was a great example of, you know, servant leadership and, and, and really, you know, you know, giving and using your gifts to serve a bigger cause. So I got to speak at a lot of churches. I spoke at a lot of universities. I spoke at some of our department stores. I'll tell you what, the timeliness of this endorsement is huge. So during this time of change, we want you to know that ZipRecruiter's focus hasn't changed. They're still doing what they've always done, helping people find work and helping businesses find the right people for their open roles. If you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is working with you to find the right job faster, and that is needed big time right now. They're dedicated to helping you get hired, from caretaking to delivering food and goods to building medical facilities, supplying protective equipment, and so much more. In fact, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be the first one to apply. 
And if you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people you need. By connecting people who need jobs and companies that need these people, ZipRecruiter is working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let's work together. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. And so, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours to mastery. I mean, I became an incredible public speaker because I did it every day for years. I mean, one year is pretty fascinating. So I did that. And then the second thing that was interesting is it got, it got around that I was a pretty good speaker, and especially at universities, which are always looking for speakers, and they have budgets. And so I got a speaking agent. And so what was crazy is I would get paid like five dollars or $10,000 to give this talk, and then I'd sell like $30,000 worth of shoes. So this was the greatest use of my time possible. So one year I did 220 events. I mean, I was like a rock star on tour in a sense. I never came home. It was actually a really dark kind of year for me because I got so sick of hearing me speak yep. that I almost like resented my own story by the end of it. But I just trained that muscle so well. And so now I do maybe eight or 10 engagements a year. I give all the money to charity. I really do it just to you know, inspire people. But, um, but yeah, I, I really learned that craft. But I bring that up and I, I use this some time to share with that because a lot of people are afraid of public speaking and a lot of people think you either have it or you don't. But I'm a great example of it is a learned skill for sure. Same with me. And I'm really glad that you said that because I use the word gifts, but I really think it's more of a skill. No, that's yeah. built and it's a uh, learned skill. Yeah, mine was the same way. You know, I, I want to touch on one other thing that Blake said there, and then we're going to talk about the post sale, which, by the way, this story gets to me fascinating, even more fascinating, guys, if that's possible, coming up next. But I read a great book a million years ago called Selling the Dream by Guy Kawasaki. I love Guy Kawasaki. It's so do I. And one of the things he says in that book is that he called Jobs an evangelical leader of the company, sure. which would really, and you use the word religious following. Yeah. And I think all entrepreneurs need to begin to look at themselves, whether it's the written word, how they use their social media, their print messaging, their advertising, their public speaking. You're an evangelist for the cause that is your company. And to yeah. the extent that you begin to be conscious of building those skills, about the cause and the mission of your business and being able to message that and make it infectious. That is a common thread between most successful entrepreneurs as they find some skill set to become evangelists for their businesses. So, all right, here we go. You sell it, 350, whatever the heck you got left after you gave the money away. You then got married. You've had a life not just about making money, you've had a life of contribution. You've given away millions of pairs of shoes, you've given away $100 million plus. You've You've, uh, you've made a difference in the world. You, you were young. You're good looking, right? You, yeah. I, it's, it, you would look at you and think, now that's what you want. Yeah. You got the cash. You had the cause. You created something. You served mankind. You've got a marriage at that time. You must be one happy dude, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and I, I want everyone to hear this. You can have it all yeah. and not have it all, right? Yeah, totally. Well, I actually think it's one of the great blessings you know, and I and um, I wish that everyone could have that experience because I think from a spiritual perspective, um, you almost have to achieve everything you've ever set out to achieve to recognize the um, very discouraging but ultimately uh, beautiful truth that your inner peace and your wellness and your joy cannot come from external things, um, and that hit me like a ton of bricks in 2017. I got diagnosed with 
mild depression. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't feel like I had purpose, um, had very little energy levels. And, and I didn't know if my days ahead of me would be better than the days of the past. And that was a very scary place. What made it even worse, and you gave a great prelude to this, is I started to feel a ton of shame because I'm like, I have it all. I mean, I have everything that everyone wants and I'm sitting here feeling sorry for myself or feeling depressed. So then the shame on top of the depression was a really, really uh, scary cocktail to, to be taking every day. So um, the good news is, is that I've always been incredibly proactive and I've always been solution oriented. And so after a few months of really dealing with this in a, in a dark way and, and, you know, and having, you know, my wife and, and many people kind of there supporting me, uh, I recognized that I needed to learn why things weren't clicking. I need to understand like the people who did have it all or who had nothing, even more importantly, people who had very little material success, who had very mundane jobs, but were experiencing high levels of well-being and flourishing and thriving. You know, what were they doing that I wasn't doing? What did I miss in all this? And that was the question I asked. And at the time, I met a good friend now, um, a, a gentleman named Pat Dossett, who was a Navy SEAL for nine years. Um, and we connected over surfing. But during our surfing sessions, I found out that he had an incredible fascination with helping people live their best lives, really getting to the state of flourishing. And when I talked to him about my story, um, what he came back with is he said, my guess is, in a sense, is that in all this work and all this building that you did, you probably neglected some of the basic fundamentals of mental and physical health that are part of the reason why you have this, this shaky foundation. And he said, you know, I would love to help you and to work with you, but I think what we need to do is really go to science because there's too many fads out there. There's too many, you know, self-help, this, that, whatever. So what about like, let's go, you know, really meet with some scientists that have studied it from a neuroscience perspective of what causes people to really live their best lives. And I said, great, I'll, I'll, I'll fund the research and let's start with you know, neuroscience because that seemed to be a really great place to understand. And we met this um, scientist named Andrew Huberman who runs a lab at Stanford. And Andrew was totally up for this challenge. Uh, he was very excited to get some of the findings in his lab outside of the lab and into my life initially and into the general public. And so we set out on this incredible journey that was really for me just trying to get me to feel better initially. But the more that I started finding these practices and habits that were basic fundamental practices like being properly hydrated or optimizing the perfect night's sleep or understanding the power of gratitude. I mean, really simple practices, but seeing the science, it was undeniable how it could affect your life and me implementing them and starting to see me feel so much better. My natural inclination is we have to share this with the world. So Pat and Andrew and I and about eight other scientists for about two years worked on developing a program that people could do within their own homes. They wouldn't have to go to a expensive retreat center or some you know, other big commitment. They could do it in their homes. And one month at a time, we would teach them basically 10 practices that would totally transform their life and really insulate them from all these challenges of modern living that are causing so many people to have mental and physical challenges. And that's what we've been working on for the past two years.
Okay, so guys, this is a business also. Again, born out of a cause, typically yeah. like it's called made for. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, but I wanna talk about some of those key habits that changed. You said something yeah. there that I relate to, which is a little bit of the shame for the depression you feel. Mm, and yeah. uh, when I was prepping for this interview, I'll be honest with you, I got a little emotional reading about it with you yeah. because of how much I relate to it mm. and how much I, uh, you and I both know the majority of the people we know that most people look at that have achieved some sort of financial status or status in general suffer yeah. from this to some extent. And, yeah. uh, and it's, well, it's because we've been told all our lives that if we accomplish these external things, right. that's the key to happiness. And, and that is unfortunately a lie that yeah. you're, you're only going to experience the joy and happiness when you are able to do it from the inside out. Agreed. One thing I want to say, and this is going to sound like I'm swimming upstream just for a second, because we're really going to dive into this because it's important to me. One of the things I, when any time I go down this road, because what I love about you, you're like me, like I like tactics and strategies. Yes. Actionable yeah. things to do, which is why yeah. I love made for. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I want to say one thing, everybody, before we go down this road, external things and achievements <clears throat> will not make you happy. Even the contributions you make will not necessarily make you happy. Having said that, sometimes people who have not yet got to their optimal level of performance can use a conversation like we're about to have to check out from the pursuit of their mm, ultimate potential. Yeah. And I want to everybody know, you want to have another formula for a life that feels unfulfilled? It's not striving towards your ultimate potential. It's not yeah. pursuing the better versions of yourself. Absolutely. So let's be very clear. We want you to achieve and contribute at the optimal level you can while moving from uh, gratitude to wellness to uh, whatever we want, whatever you'll term it, Blake. So I just want to make sure I've said that before we yeah. go there. And no, I, I think it's it's, it's not an and. Uh, I mean, it's not an or, it's an and. You know, right. it's really this idea that, you know, uh, connecting to your purpose and, and your ambition and creating something is, is incredibly powerful. And during that time, I was the happiest I've ever been. Mm -hmm. But when you get to that destination, if you think that that destination is the end all, you're going to have a very rude awakening. But in some ways, that's a beautiful thing. And every spiritual text I've ever read, it always talks about how suffering is the path to God and suffering is the way for really inner growth. And you got to hit that, that road, that roadblock so that you have to turn internal. And when you do, then it opens up a whole new level of joy and contentment that, you know, frankly, it's, it's hard to imagine until you're there. Agreed. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm enjoying this so much. Just, you know, um, because I just know the value everybody's getting and it make, makes me happy just to know. Let's talk about a few of these steps. I don't want to give away all of made for because I sure. want people to participate in the business, but I want to talk about just a couple key items here. Yeah. Um, the word neuroplasticity is sort of this new vogue word that everybody uses. It's probably been used by 11 guests on my show out of <laughs> the last 25. And guys, basically that just means is your brain can change. Yeah. And, yeah. but I know that's one of the keys to sort of some of the fundamental things you give us a key to, helping change our brain, a key yeah. to neuroplasticity, if you would, just one of yours. Sure. Well, I'll say, that, you know, that after doing all this research, there were a couple of things that were just undeniable that really formed the creation of the program, which in some ways is quite radical compared to many things out there. The first was, is that um, you really can't learn a new keystone habit or practice um, simultaneously with learning other things. So you, your brain has to go into the state of deep learning, almost obsession, 
and it needs to do it for 30 days. You know, 21 to 30 days is kind of the route. So the problem is sometimes, you know, someone might listen to this podcast and we'll talk about several things. It's really hard to take all that and implement it, you know, or they read a great book or whatnot. The key we found was that we've moved away as a society to this philosophy of deep learning. And so one of the keystone practices of made for is we only teach you one basic thing at a time for 30 days. I mean, in some ways it almost, we want it to feel monotonous because that's how the circuitry in your brain is creating new pathways. Like for all those people who've seen the movie Karate Kid, I always use this analogy when you know, Mr. Miyagi makes him wash the cars, right? And so he's waxing and waxing and waxing. And he's like, why the fuck am I doing all this waxing? And he's getting frustrated, but he keeps doing it because he believes in Mr. Miyagi. Then next thing you know, he's got the perfect karate chop. That is a little bit of what's happening with Made For. We sequentially take you through challenges month by month for 10 months that are very simple. We want to give you the minimum effective effort to get the maximum result. But ultimately what it does is it allows you not to learn, but to sustain and integrate this new habit. Everyone knows most of the things that we're going to teach you, or they've at least heard of them, but very few people have been able to have them stick. So that's one of the main things. And then the second thing, and this is the probably more radical one in this day and age, what we learned was the program had to be completely analog. There's no digital app. There's no tracking device. There's nothing digital. It is I mean, literally, we send you a kit in the mail into your house once a month and everything you need for that month is in that kit. And it's 100% analog. And because the problem with today is we get so digitally distracted. And if we're having to look at a smartwatch or this or that to let us know how we should be feeling or how we're doing, we're not internalizing this in, in a way that can be sustainable. And so in order to go from this fixed mindset, which is when we think that our brain is just always going to be the way that it is, to a growth mindset where the neuropathways can change, we have to really commit to this practice of one thing a month for 30 days and doing it in an environment where we will not be distracted. All of you that can afford to do this should participate and go to Made For. You just should. Well, and we're going to talk about how to do that in a second. Those of you that can't, I yeah, want to give we, them some help here too. And so, sure. so we have talk to, about, I want to go to a couple things really quickly. Yeah. People talk about a lot, but, but I want to go a little deeper because you've gone deeper. Yeah. So hydration. Yes. Okay. It's one of the key platforms in the plan. And I want you to talk about what that looks like, why it's so important, and basically what someone would need to do to achieve it. And I, I want to go back to one thing Blake said, guys, complexity is the enemy of execution. Yes. And if you can be a total immersion in something, human beings can make quantum changes with total immersion. I have a friend of mine who just learned to speak uh, Spanish at 50 years old. I said, how oh, thank you. And he kind of looked at me like I was crazy. He goes, I just immersed myself in it for 60 days, bro. Like yeah. you could do it too. Yeah. I didn't do 1,100 other things. I decided to learn Spanish for yeah. 60 days and he yeah. got it. So immersion is important. Talk about hydration from your perspective though, please. Sure. Yeah. So hydration is one of these amazing things that I think we all think we drink enough water, but we really don't understand like what is the right amount of water for us. And there's a lot of myths out there that we have to debunk. And we spend a lot of time during this month talking about those. But really, 70% of our body is water, um, which I think is also a beautiful connection that 70% of our planet is water. There's no coincidence there. 
Um, and, and, and really what people have always been worried about or tried to prevent is this word dehydration. But the problem is, is by the time that you're dehydrated, you're really kind of fucked. Like, I mean, people worry about this like massive loss in water, but even a 1%, the science shows a 1% decline in your optimal hydration will affect your mood. It'll affect your energy level. It'll affect um, how your internal organs are working and definitely it'll affect your sleep. So hydration is like the most important fundamental thing for you to have the best opportunity to physically feel your best every day. Now, not everyone should drink the same amount of water. And this is where we get into trouble because we've heard eight glasses of water or this yeah. amount of water. But it's really, and this is what we help you with Made For, find out the exact recipe for you. And that is based on you know your body weight, based on what climate you live in, based on how much physical activity, even your diet. So if you're on a uh, mainly plant-based diet, you're getting so much water that's stored in those plants versus if you're on a more meat diet, there's not as much water stay. So we help you figure out exactly how much water with made for every month. What you get is you get the science. It's like kind of, you know, kind of um, compiled down to like a 20 minute read. So think of it like a long magazine article that really makes the science come to life in an entertaining, digestible way. But then you also get a tool that's going to help you learn the new habit. And so with, uh, with hydration, we designed a special water bottle that keeps track of how much water you're drinking and kind of gives you a dopamine hit every time you get to move a little bead once you finish one of the bottles. And so that really helps you fine tune with how you're feeling based on how much water you're drinking. Great. But the other thing that's interesting, and we try to do this in every, every month, and even if you don't do made for, I think this is a great thing to do, um, is when you commit to something like, I'm going to drink this amount of water every day for 30 days and document how I feel. This goes back to the neuroplasticity thing. What you're also doing is you're proving to yourself that you can stick to something just as simple as water. So then the next challenge comes is easier because like I did that for 30 days. So now I can do this for 30 days. And so that is a big part of it. Like your friend of the Spanish, I'm sure he's going on to learn new things now because yep. he proved to himself that if he focused on something, he could really achieve it. And so that is something that um, is kind of baked into the whole philosophy. Yes. Um, but, 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 but hydration is, I, I mean, I, I can never, uh, you know, doubt it enough. I mean, one thing I used to have to do, it's interesting, is in the afternoon, I'd get tired if I was working a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And I would have an espresso shot. That was my way of kind of going from three o'clock to seven or eight o'clock with high productivity. Now I just chug, you know, a half a liter of water and within 10, 20 minutes, I have energy. It's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Guys, I want to, one thing I want to add to what Blake's saying is, you know, this dehydration concept, you got to really be careful. Your blood gets thicker. There's all these really negative elements to it. We're not, and we're talking about proper hydration here, but what I love about the program as I've said for years that I think self-confidence comes from keeping small promises that you make to yourself. I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what's baked into this program, guys, is simple promises you're going to keep to yourself. So not only are you getting these tactics and tools to, to improve your life, but you're also kind of in an environment where you're not forced to. But if you do, you've kept these promises you've made to yourself. You'll transform your identity. You'll transform your self-confidence. So yeah. connecting to water is also sleep. Yes. Yeah. And I, other I am, I'm fascinated by this because I want to learn more. I've had some sleep experts on, but 
what is proper sleep? How do you bake it into the program? And, and are there little tricks you do to get better and more optimal sleep? So it's interesting because I would say this was, people always ask like what, when you were doing the research before you even had the idea for the business, but you were just trying to get to feel better and you're meeting with the scientist and you're learning these things. What was the thing that had the biggest impact on you the fastest? And that was when I optimized my sleep hmm. and, and, and really optimizing your sleep is not just about what you do before you go to sleep, but also the proper way to wake up. And that was really fascinating to me too. Because what happens is, and I'll back into it in a second, but if you, the number one enemy of, of, of really getting great sleep and waking up properly is using your phone as an alarm clock. Like that is absolutely enemy number one. Because people, even if they say, oh, I don't check my text messages and emails in bed, or I don't watch a YouTube video, they do. It always happens. You know, they have an idea right before they go to bed. Like, oh, shit, I need to order that on Amazon. And then they go to Amazon and they order it. And then they see a text message notification that's from their boss. Their boss is pissed. And now they have all this stress and they're not going to sleep well. The other thing that happens is, is if you use your alarm clock, um, your, your, your phone, is the first thing you do when you wake up is you go to turn your alarm off and you see a text pop in. And now your cortisol levels spike. And that is the worst way to start your day. So I'll go through my whole protocol, but just if there's one thing that you listen to right now, go buy an alarm clock, cost <laughs> you like $7, $10 on Amazon, and never ever bring your phone into your bedroom again. Like do not have a charging, I have a charging station in my bathroom and I put my phone there every night and I never ever let it go into my bedroom. So that is one of the hacks. And so with Made For, we designed a very beautiful special alarm clock that everyone wants to have sitting on their bedstand. It's made of bamboo, it's beautiful. Uh, and so that's one of the tools that you get in the sleep month. But the other thing is, it's about preparing for sleep. So we probably have heard that it's not great to be getting emitting blue light into our eyes before sleep. So that's you know binge watching Netflix, that's checking your email. You know, you, you, I think the science says between one to two hours is optimal to try to have no more screen time. And what I found, the beautiful thing of that is, is when you commit to that, then you read more. And when you read more, you're once again building your self-confidence, you're building your knowledge, you're building all the things that, you know, go into a growth mindset. So number one is try to get off those screens within two hours of going to sleep. Another thing is room temperature. Room temperature is really important. You know, even if you're someone that gets cold easy, just get more blankets because that creates that cocoon feeling, that womb feeling that we had before we even you know, were incarnated. And so the thing is, is you've got to have a room temperature, 67 to 68 degrees is pretty much what the science agrees on right now. Um, but changing that for me made a huge difference. Um, and so that was, that's one other way. The another way to prepare for sleep is you've got to be absolutely pitch black. So you cannot have any lights blinking. You cannot have any sunlight coming in. I mean, I live in Jackson Hole. It doesn't get dark till 10 o'clock. And I go to bed at 8.30 or 9 most nights because I have young kids and they go to bed early and I got to get up early. So what we do, one of the things also we send you with Made For is we design a beautiful silk eye mask. Um, and so if you can't actually change your, your shades because it's cost prohibitive in your room to have blackouts or whatever, then you can always put an eye mask on which completely blacks it out. Um, and that's a really, really uh, big thing to do in, pre in preparation um, for sleep. Um, and then, and then it's all about the waking up. 
And so I have, um, and this is something that, you know, I, I really believe strongly about of having some form of a morning routine that you do consistently every day to get your day going right. If you're a parent or you're really busy, you don't have a lot of time to yourself during the day. So this is often the only time you have to yourself for any type of contemplation, any type of meditation, any type of journaling, any type of prayer life. So what I really like to do, and this goes back to the alarm clock, if I'm not using my phone for my alarm clock, my alarm clock can go off. And then I know that however long, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, I have to do my morning practice. Now, my morning practice is three cups of tea in silence, uh, a meditation, some pranayama breathing, and then I'm ready to go. And so by the time I've done that and I finally pick up my damn phone, I can deal with anything. No matter how stressful it is, I am in a calm state. And so that is also going to help you in terms of how you translate a great night's sleep into a great day. And we kind of take you through that in a more nuanced and more scientific way in Made For. But it's another example of like, don't be um, intimidated that there's going to be these crazy biohacking things we're asking you to do. These are really basic fundamental principles that have been proven in science to have huge impacts. You guys, I love that. And I'm going to ask you a question about the cold in a second. But everybody, if you can afford this, wouldn't it be great just to immerse yourself in one of these skills that's deeply scientifically based every single month? This, you really want to make a change? Make a change. This will help you make changes. It's once a month, correct, Blake? Yeah, yeah. so we send you, you focus on one new thing a month. It lasts for 10 months. And, and what we really believe is this idea of a minimum viable effort. You know, we know how busy lives people have, and we don't want the made-for intervention to feel like a huge time commitment. So typically, once you get the kit, uh, it takes about 30 to 40 minutes to understand the whole month protocol. And then it's less than 10 minutes a day of, of you know, putting your attention on something during the month. So it's not like a huge time commitment, but it is a big mental commitment. And that's part of it is that we want you to be making that commitment because that's showing that you are someone who's not settling just for a mediocre life. How do you feel about chili pads? You know, I did, I worked with the chili pad and the bed jet um, okay. for, for cool. I personally like the bed jet better. Um, so, so for those of you who are listening or not, don't know about these, if you're married or have a partner and you have different um, philosophies about how cold it should be in the room, which with my ex-wife, that was a huge issue. She wanted it warm. I knew I needed it cold. Um, the chili pad or the bed jet can be a great way to regulate your temperature on your side of the bed. Um, and they both work great. I just prefer the air versus the coils. Okay, cool. I have a chili pad. I didn't know what a bed jet was. I'm going to look into that. So yeah, that's cool. All right, one more little hack, guys, and then we're going to talk about made for and, uh, and ask Blake a closing question. But I think gratitude is something that everybody talks about, but I like strategies for gratitude, yes. practical, tactical steps to increase gratitude in my life. There's a little piece about handwritten notes that you also talk about that I think is just beautiful. Can you talk about practicing gratitude? Yeah, I mean, I'm so happy you hit, you know, first hydration then sleep, then gratitude. Because of the 10 months, these are three of my absolute favorite and who had, had some of the biggest impact on me. So a lot of people are familiar with the gratitude journal. A lot of people are familiar with, you know, writing three things you're grateful in the day before you go to bed. Those are great. Those are like the baseline, baseline foundational practices. But to, to really look at tactics and strategies at work, we had to really go into the science and really understand what's happening in your brain when you have 
more intimate, more vulnerable experiences of gratitude. And this is hard for people. I mean, this is one of the months that some people fly through and there's some people that literally don't complete this month until like a year later because it's just so nerve wracking for them. So a couple of the strategies and practices, one of my favorites is, is it, and this goes back to kind of rewiring the brain, is we ask you to think of something in your life that was tragic, something that was a huge setback, something that really derailed you. And then we like to ask, then we ask you to think about, because that happened, was there anything good that came out of that six months, a year, two years later? I mean, I love Garth Brooks and I love one of his songs. I thank God for unanswered prayers, you know, because that's kind of what this is about. And so once someone can recognize, okay, I, I got fired from this job. This woman broke up with me. I got broke my leg, my tennis days. And because of that, I ended up doing this. I met the love of my life. I ended up becoming an entrepreneur. I ended up taking my health more seriously. Well, what's happening is we ask you to do a creative writing exercise where you write to that experience as if it's a person and you thank them in great detail for what happened and then what came afterwards. Now, by doing that, what's happening in your brain is your brain's like, oh, maybe when bad things happen, they're actually good. They're actually going to be a silver lining in almost every setback I have. So now next time a setback happens, instead of being so against it, you can be curious earlier on so you suffer less and you get quicker to the positive that can come from it. So that's like a gratitude practice that does, doesn't really sit. And so that's one of them. And then we have about three or four other things you do during the month. Um, you know, one of them is you know, helping you get more comfortable with the vulnerability of gratitude. I think especially men have a problem with this, of really looking someone in the eye and telling them how much they mean to them and why they mean something to them. But that can really transform relationships. Um, and we've seen that with a lot of our members. Your life has improved other lives, bro. Thank you. Super cool. Oh, thank you. I, I just, it's, it's worthy of saying out loud. You know, oh, I, thank you. I know you live that every day and people tell you that, but how cool is that? And what's well, really awesome is you're a human being and so is everybody listening to this. Yeah, we're all the mean, same. <laughs> which everybody here in their way was born to do something special and great with their life. Sure. And you'll eventually find that if it's your intention. Yeah. Make it your intention. And so made for is awesome. And for those that can afford it, those that don't, you just got some unbelievable keys and tips. Those that yeah. can, how do they go there and how do they participate? Sure. So a couple of things. Um, so you can sign up for the program at getmadefor.com. That's the only digital experience you'll have to have with us uh, signing up. Um, G-E-T-M-A-D-E-F-O-R.com. Um, and what we do is we take people by, a we create monthly classes. So if you sign up, I don't know, what's the date today? Today's end of June. So you would, you would be in the July class. And so you, we like to batch people. And it's right now it's about 500 people per class. And, and the probably nice thing everybody, about, probably everybody, this will come out in July. You'll be in the August class. Okay. August class. Yeah. And so, uh, and so the nice thing is, is you have some people, strangers initially, but you sometimes bond at them that you really have some accountability. We do have a private Facebook group that we don't make people participate in, but we have about 80% of the people participate so they can share like, Oh, I'm struggling with this or that. But the best thing about the classes is it really bonds you each month to what you're learning. So you sign up at getmadefor.com. 
Um, and then the thing with, uh, in terms of cost, you know, one of the really important things for me was to think about how we could reach as many people as possible. So the program is $75 a month, which for a lot of people, especially during this time, is cost prohibitive. But if it's not cost prohibitive, I highly recommend signing up. Um, but we also create a program called Made for Everyone. And this is our scholarship program that's very robust. So if you go to the website and you're like, I can't afford 75, but I can afford 35, well, we can meet you there. And so we have a whole scholarship program that is in the top right-hand corner of the website. You click on, you have to write a small essay about you know, why you want to do it and what your financial situation is. Um, but we really pride ourselves in trying to get anyone who has that commitment, who has that intention to get it to be part of the program. Bro, you're so great. That's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Um, I got so much on. I don't want this to end, so it's not just yet. Okay, so <laughs> I want like bonus round now, just yeah. for a little bit. Great. I, if someone had the good fortune of getting a one-on-one -on -one meeting with you, I'm gonna bring them into this with you. Okay. They ran into you at Starbucks. Yeah. They said, "Hey, man, can I have 30 minutes, please? Sure. I have five minutes." Yeah. And you know, I want to change my life. Mm. This is a broad question, but yeah, sure. I want to change my life. I, I know where I am right now is not where I want to be or who mm. I want to be mm. five years from now. And I'm not exactly sure where to just literally begin. Yeah. What would your counsel be to that person who asked you that question? Sure. So I think I think I would have a little bit of counsel different based on age. So let me start with um, someone who is 35 and younger. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges or mistakes that we tell young people in that 35 and younger bracket is that they should have a vocation where they can make as much money as possible um, and, and they sacrifice their passion and their well-being and their happiness to do so. What I have found is, and it sounds a little bit like a cliche, but I continue to say it, is if you immerse yourself, especially in your 20s, but even in your 30s, and whatever you find the most just fascinating and the most passionate, and no matter if you make very barely money and you have to have four roommates and you have to have other jobs, but if you're passionate enough about something, you will become great at it. And anyone who becomes great at anything makes money. <laughs> so I say like, you know, in your early years, do not take a job because it is revered and applauded and you make a bunch of money unless it is deeply tied to your deepest passion because you might make more money than your friends in your 20s and 30s, but I guarantee you won't make more money than your friends in their 40s and 50s if they follow their passion. And the truth is most people make their real money in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. So that would be my advice for someone under 35. Great advice. The second piece of advice I would give, and this would be for on top of that for people who are young, but also people who are older, is it's all about momentum. It really is momentum, you know, and so it's all about these small steps. So Pat, my partner and made for, you know, incredibly uh, amazing human Navy SEAL. He says that one of the things that he learns in the teams was it was this crawl, walk, run. You know, you got to learn to crawl first, then you walk and then you run. And so if someone wants to change their life, unfortunately, so many people um, want to make these massive changes and they never stick. And this is very much in why we created Made For the way we created it. So I would say is find the few little things that you think are holding you back and make really small commitments that you can keep, like you said earlier, these commitments to yourself, 
and get those going to build momentum so then you can address the bigger challenges in your life. I will use an example, and this is a really, really personal one. You know, I thankfully have never had a problem with alcohol in the way that friends of mine who've become alcoholics and who've had to get sober have. But I realized two years ago that I was using, you know, two beers a night, a glass of wine a night, two glasses of wine a night to numb myself because I had recognized that I was very unhappy in my marriage. I am best friends with my ex-wife now, so I can say this, and we did a lot of incredible work and we're incredible co-parents and we had this beautiful relationship together. But I don't think after seven years, neither of us were really thriving. And I knew that, but I was so committed to being a great dad and I was so committed to the vow that I made on our wedding day that I was you know, going to stick with it no matter what. And so I was finding that I was numbing myself by having those two beers every night or two glasses of wine. And I, I don't even know how I decided to do this, but I said, you know what? I'm going to try some just like 30 days, 100% sober test, you know, and, and, and see how I feel. And in these different experiences of sobriety where I didn't have that to fall back on. So this is a small little thing. Giving up two beers a night is not that big a deal. But in that, I was able to see that I really was unhappy and that we really need, and she was unhappy and that we needed to address this. And so through that little commitment of making a change in my life, it actually led to making a huge change in my life, doing this conscious uncoupling program, and now having an incredible relationship with my ex-wife. Um, and so that never would have happened. I never would have think I've been able to face the reality of that situation had I not taken on that little 30-day sober challenge. Really good, brother. Gosh, that's so good. All right, last question. A lot of noise in the world. I made a post about this today. And by the way, a lot of the noise worthy of our attention and focus. Sure. Uh, you know, sometimes we say, well, these things are distractions. Well, a lot of the social and racial justice issues that are being talked about in the world today are worthy of our attention, our focus, 100%. our time, our energy, maybe even our money if we have some, right? Yeah. You got COVID still here. You yeah. got the presidential election, Biden, Trump, all that stuff. You got the Senate, the House. Then you got... A hundred things in your own family, all of us do. And then anything else the media can put out there that in addition to the important things that we, and I find that the people that I know to be the most fulfilled and are also achieving at a high level have an ability to laser focused in on what matters to them. Yeah. And I wonder if you have any counsel for people that let's just be honest, brother, there's a lot to pull our energy and time and focus yeah. away from what might be most productive for us to be doing. Any thoughts on that? Any strategies, techniques, anything like that? This one was a little bit of a curveball at the end, sure. but it's something yeah, I think like it. relevant to right now. There's, and I wish I knew this by heart, but there's, um, are you familiar with the serenity prayer? Yes. My dad's, so, my yeah. dad's been sober 30 years, 33 okay. years. Yeah. So the serenity prayer at the end, it says something of like, and give me the wisdom to control the things that I can and to let go of the things that I can't. And so I think there are some things that we can control, for instance, you know, with everything going on uh, with Black Lives Matters, if you have the opportunity to use your voice uh, and your money to you know, help in this way, then that's something you can control. But then there's a lot of parts of this very complex issue that are outside of your control. And so I find that in terms of laser focus, it's let's focus on like COVID is another great example, right? Like I can control 
how responsible I am in social distancing and the things that I do. But I also can't control if the spikes happen and it gets more and more scary. And so I'm not going to let that spin me out of control. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really feel that the people who are thriving when there's so much noise are really focusing on the things that they can control and letting go emotionally right. of the things that they can't. Um, and then the second thing is there's this great book called Essentialism. Um, and I think the last name is McEwen who wrote it, Greg McEwen. And he talks a lot about really getting disciplined around the things that actually really matter in your life and really trying to clear house and purge the things that don't. Now this could be physical stuff in your space that you don't ever use that camera again and it's just collecting dust and it creates, you know, kind of an energetic pull from you, or it could be work related. How many of the meetings are you experiencing or stuff you're doing that really don't benefit the bottom line of your company and having the courage to point that out even to your boss. And I found this for sure socially, like I am extroverted. I love so people and I used to, you know, say yes to so many things socially. But when I really start getting um, more disciplined in that, then it cuts out some of that noise and it allows me to really give my time to the things I care the most about. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I have found um, the best way to deal with just the noise. And it's not going to get any less. It's only with technology going to get greater and greater. And I call this, you know, the challenges of modern living. And I think modern living has a lot of benefits but it also has a lot of challenges. And that's one of the things with made for that was really a big part of my passion in bringing this program to the public was everyone. It doesn't matter where you are in the economic bracket. It doesn't matter if you're a student or if you're a grandfather, you're dealing with challenges of modern living. And so we got to give you the tools and the tactics to make that journey uh, a little bit more peaceful. Outstanding conversation, brother. Like yeah, just, this has been it, fun. It flew by, bro. It flew yeah. by. And I want to thank you for it. You guys, make sure you're following Blake on social media. Make sure that you, I'm putting it up on the screen now for those of you on video, and obviously participate in Made For. I love the uh, scholarship program and everything about you I'm so impressed with and I enjoyed today so much. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. That was great. And everybody, make sure you're sharing the greatest show in the world with people that you care about, that you believe in. And every day on Instagram, remember I run the max out two minute drill. Follow me on Instagram when I make a post, 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern. First two minutes, make a comment. You're in a drawing every day to win coaching calls with me, my guests, max out gear, ride on the jet, see me speak, whatever. If you miss the first two minutes, just reply to other people's comments or make a comment on every post I make every day. We pick winners from all three of those categories so I can be connecting with you and collaborating with you. God bless y'all and max out. This is the Admiral Show.